It's so good to worship together, to lift our voices to the King of Kings. So it's going to take me a moment to transition out of that, um, which is a good thing. Uh, If you have your copy of scripture, please turn with me to John chapter 13. Asking me to sing. (laughs) I'll do that. Well, uh, beginning in March of 2019, uh, something new began. Uh, It's been now commonly called the Great Resignation, um, coinciding with the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, lockdowns being initiated and all these things. um, Massive numbers of people began suddenly quitting their jobs. And some of that was to be expected as um, you're not going to a workplace or your workplace dynamics are changing, all these things, but it just continued and was just at an alarming rate. Um, Over 47 million Americans left their jobs by the end of 2021. On average, 4 million Americans were quitting their jobs each month last year in 2022. And then throughout 2022, it was reported that 40% of Americans said they were thinking about leaving their jobs within three to six months. And then here we are in 2023, and it seems to be continuing. Um, I started reading a a scholarly article about the Great Resignation, just trying to understand what is actually happening um, in the workplace today. The author incorporated many fascinating findings from the United States Bureau of Labor and Statistics, um, as well as some fairly complex mathematical equations to help explain these trends and the phenomenon. If you know me at all, um, this will not surprise you because I said the word mathematical, but as I was reading an article about quitting, I suddenly quit. Um, Yeah, the irony was not lost on me. Um, Why do we quit things is the question. Why do we give up on things? Why do we step away from something that we once stepped into? Why do we quit things? Sometimes it's because things get hard and we just don't like when things are difficult. We like easy. We like comfort. And so we'll step away from things that become difficult. Or maybe it's that a better option comes along. You know, it once was the fear of missing out. I read an article um, recently that was, it's no longer FOMO. It's no longer the fear of missing out. It's now FOBO. It's the fear of a better option. Um, But what if I miss out? And so I'll quit one thing because something better is there. Or maybe it's just so you're incapable. You quit because you actually gave it everything you had and found that that was not enough. So there are many reasons why we quit things, but we really should wrestle with when we quit something, why did we quit that? And why do we see people quitting so many things? Um, Is there a right time to quit? I would think surely so. But when is that right time? And as we've been working through John's gospel, things have become more and more difficult. The threat of death is very real. People are actively plotting to kill Jesus in response to the claims he has made, the signs he has performed, saying he is God himself. The son of God has come to us to be life everlasting for us. He's made these claims. He's made just wild claims by using the divine name of Yahweh as he says, I am. And then he would say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the life. I am the resurrection. He is God himself who has come to save us. And he's made exclusive claims that there's not another way. And he's been terribly offensive to so many people, including us, if we're honest. And some of the ways that he talks to people is this mixture of, wow, he's so compassionate, he's so kind, he's so powerful, and yet at the same time, he is so authoritative and majestic in a way that actually offends me and corrects me. It humbles me. 
And we live in a culture that does not like that. And so we should be honest about that. And yet, for Jesus, the threats are real. It is becoming more and more difficult that he has to actually decide where he's going to go, where he will stay, who he will be around at this point because people want to end this. And so we pick up in John chapter 13. We'll spend our entire time today in just this first verse. John chapter 13. If you will put your eyes on this passage with me or at least hear what the Spirit inspired John to write. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. And so we'll start with some context. It says before the Passover festival. And so this takes us out of, recall, we've been talking about some of the structure of this book, that we've come out of the, the cycle of festivals. And so this festival cycle, he's going, he's coming, he's going, he's coming with these different feasts and festivals. And each time he seems to want to, to make some kind of sign known of his power along with a claim that is saying that he is going to be the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He's the one who has come to save us. And yet they keep rejecting him. Some are believing, some want to kill him. There's this crazy collision of different reactions to Jesus, what he says and what he does. And yet here he comes to yet another festival. And so if we have in mind now, these festivals seem to be just kind of growing. They're growing in angst, they're growing in expectation. It's another feast. There's all this expectation as the people would now expect. Where is he at? This one known as Jesus. What's he gonna do this time? All the while, some people are excited by this, wanting to see what's he going to do next, what's he going to say next, maybe believing, maybe wondering, all these different things, but they're expecting in a hopeful way, wanting to see him. And yet then there are those who are expecting him to come, but they're expecting him to do something that's just going to infuriate them all the more, and they need to do something about that. So we have expectations, we have tensions, and it's all climaxing in this moment as he comes to yet another festival, and this one is Passover again. And so, again, we need to go back into the history of why would the Jews celebrate this festival? This is the Passover festival. They're thinking of their exodus, their deliverance from Egyptian slavery, and when the final plague comes on Pharaoh and his household in all of Egypt, it's that the firstborn of every household would die unless there was lamb's blood put over the doorway, that there's this blood that would atone or cover for this family. And so the angel of death who would kill the firstborn would literally pass over that household. And so the Israelites, the people of God, are spared of this judgment, and this judgment comes upon Egypt and causes Pharaoh to say, get out. And so they are able to escape. And they're told, you're going to do this, this meal that you would eat at this time, where it's going to be a quick meal, and you're going to be dressed and ready, but you're going to do this regularly to remember that this was your deliverance the night when Passover occurred. And so they're coming to this time when they would celebrate this feast, this festival, to remember God's deliverance, his salvation, to take them out of their enslavement and into freedom to the promised land. And so this is our context. And it says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the fathers. So he's making it clear to us, we get kind of insider information here. Before we read on, Something will happen to Jesus, that he's going to leave this world and he's going to go back to the Father, the Father whom he said he came from. And yet, it's his hour that is referenced. 
We've said this before, but the, the theme of the hour is a continual theme throughout John's gospel. This idea of Jesus' hour, this goes all the way back to the start with the first sign, the wedding at Cana, when Jesus responds to his mother in this weird way and says, woman, it's not my hour. Like, well, what is his hour? His hour is a reference to this transition when he would actually leave this world and go back to the Father. And what is going to happen in this hour? We should be asking this question as we come to this point in this gospel and say, what is it? It's time for it. What's going to happen? Is it something in the next 60 minutes? No. But it's in this time frame, something is going to come. And what he is saying is that what is going to follow this is going to be the full revealing of his glory. It's what everything prior to this, healed lame man, sight given to the blind man, resurrected dead man, party on forever because we've got a lot of wine and we thought we were running out. All of those signs and all of the glory that's revealed unto all of that is all just pointing to the fact that this is the real hour. That was all just pointing to something that's going to be so much more. The real glory will be displayed now. And so we read this. You've got to enter into this part of the book, which is now going to be called the book of exaltation. And you should just be like on the edge of your seat, like what is going to happen? If he's already done all of this, where is Jesus going? And he knows this is his hour. It has come. His hour has come. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end his own. I want, I want us to focus in on two phrases in this. The first is his own, and the second is the end. But having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To be his own. And so, well, again, nerd out with me for a moment, but if we look at the structure of John's gospel, we've talked about how there's a prologue, and then there's the book of signs, and then there's the book of exaltation, and then there's an epilogue. So you've got these kind of four major components of John's gospel, prologue, book of signs, which is about the first half, and then you have the book of exaltation, and then an epilogue, which is the second half, roughly speaking. And so in this structure, for the first book and the second book, there's a preamble. So nerd out, keep with me. But the preambles use so much of the same language, I want to read them for you. So the preamble to the book of signs says this. This is chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. It says, he was in the world. Hear these words that are repeated. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. And now, hear the preamble to the second book, the book of exaltation. This is what we're reading. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This common language here of the world and Jesus coming into the world, departing from the world, his own people, his own. And so when we look at his own, what Jesus means by his own, it is a possessive phrase. That Jesus owns us. We are his own. He created us. Remember, that goes back to the beginning, that he is the one who created all things. Nothing came into creation that was not created through him. He created all things. And so we, as creation, are his. The creator rightly owns his creation. And so Jesus created us. He owns us. We are his own. And then he bought us. And now we're jumping forward a bit in anachronistic fashion, but here we know this is what he's going towards. This is his hour. This is his death and his resurrection. This is when he would buy us back. He would ransom us. 
at the cost of his own life, Jesus would purchase us, that he would own us. And so this is absolutely rightly possessive to say his own. He created us and he bought us. This is the gospel, the good news. This was actually God's plan from before creation. Did you know that? That Jesus, Revelation 13, 8 says, stood as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And in that context, he's talking about a book. Those whose names are written in a book from before the foundation of the world. And you actually go back into the Gospels and you hear Jesus talk about this book as well. It's known as the book of life. And there's a, there's a point at which Jesus' disciples, they've been sent out and they're doing wonderful ministry. They're, they're performing these miracles like Jesus was. They're casting out demons and they come back and you imagine they're all just giddy and excited. They're like, Jesus, we got this. We're on fire. We're casting out demons. We're healing people. It's amazing. The stuff you're doing, we're doing it too. This is amazing. This is so good. And Jesus kind of spoils all their fun in the moment. And he's like, guys, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice? What do you mean don't rejoice in the fact that the demons submit to our authority that we have now because you sent us out? What do you mean don't, don't rejoice in the fact that we heal people? They were hurting and they're not hurting anymore. And you can imagine Jesus like, that's good stuff. Don't let that be where your hope is. Don't let that be where your joy is. Rejoice in the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That God has love and grace, mercy for you, that he would choose you and save you and bring you into everlasting life where there will never be another demon to get you, where there will never be another ailment. There's not gonna be any more tears, death, pain, the former things, they're gonna be passed away. That's what you rejoice in. And now you can walk in these other things because they're all pointing to one bigger thing, that the day is coming when all the bad things are going to be gone. It's coming. And so we know he established that before he even created any of this. So what a joy to know. He wrote my name in a book. Christian, he wrote your name in a book. And that book has existed from before the time the foundation of this world was established. That's amazing. That God would love me like that? God would choose me like that? That he would say, you're mine. And so Jesus, knowing that his hour had come to depart from this world and return to the Father, having loved his own, his own, us, he loved them to the end. It's possessive. We have to know if there's this possessive distinction here, it is a distinction that those who are his are his but then there are those who are not his. So today, would you evaluate, are you his? Do you belong to the Lord? Are you his? His own, you go back a couple chapters and you read Jesus talking about his own, hear his voice. His own, know his voice. His own, know and hear, they follow his voice. That we, if we are his, we should be receptive to him. Actually, the, the picture Jesus gave in one of the parables is like there's a wedding that's about to take place and the bride is getting ready, the groom is getting ready, the groom would come back in this context, the groom would come back to receive his bride, take her to the wedding and all these bridesmaids are supposed to be ready. It's like, be ready to receive him. Are you ready to receive the Lord? Because he is actually coming back and he's gonna bring us to our own wedding but the groom, Jesus, is coming back for us one day. We don't know the hour. But are you ready? 
He says, be ready to receive him, so we must be receptive to him. Then we need to pay attention. If we are his, we should pay attention to him. How much attention are you giving to him? We should pay attention to him. We should be obedient in following him. And so there's this reception, this attention, this obedience that if we are his, are we listening? What are you listening to? Do you listen to the voice of God? It's like, you know, on occasion, Pastor Kevin's going to preach and I'll, I'll hear his voice for a few moments. And do you know how much that breaks my heart to think, what if you only encounter the voice of God in 30 minutes on a Sunday morning? That's not enough. It's not enough. Please drink deeply. Feast. Get fat on this. Scripture says that buy it, the pure milk, the word of God. That is where we grow unto salvation. There was no plan B. It is by the word of God. And so daily bread, eat it. Meet with him in it. Hear his voice. And then listen to his spirit. That he's given us his spirit. So listen. Listen, if you hear his voice, listen. And then consider, what are, you, what are you letting consume your attention? Because whatever's consuming your attention, I would argue is also consuming your affection. We give our attention to the things that we value. I mean, our phones have this really, really horrific thing to where it will tell you what you spent your screen time on. Go look at it and ask, what has my affections? Likely what has my attention. Do you hear him? Do you see him? Do you give him your affections, your attention? And then ask if obedience is following him, where is your loyalty actually found? Where do you actually see your loyalty when you look at the outplay of your life? You know, back to the beginning, we like to quit things. And, and I, don't, I don't want to place guilt or condemnation on any of you. But in real honesty, we should evaluate why is it that so often church things are the first to be cut out of a busy schedule? Why is it that your relationship with God would suffer before other relationships? What actually has our affection? What has our devotion? What do we really believe about life and eternity? If I will invest more in my kids' academic future, and hopes than in their spiritual well-being. Because I've got to get you ready, buddy, for the next 60-ish years of your life when there is eternity at stake. And, and please, you can take that to unhealthy places. They should actually be married beautifully. But we should really ask, where is our loyalty found? Are we listening and following our Lord Jesus who says, you're mine. Do we live like we are his? Uh, we take our kids through an annual catechesis, and <laughs> the, the first one that it starts with, the question is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer, say it with me, class, that we are not our own, but we belong to the Lord. This is what Paul said in Romans 14, 8. It says, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We are his possession, his own people. And so as he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. When you hear having loved his own, his own, that is you, believer, that is you, Christian. And he loves us. We are his and he is ours. That he has betrothed himself to us. We enjoy this intimacy. We get him, he gets us. We are his. Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. 
This is our only hope in life or death. And then that other statement. He loved them to the end. And I can't, I honestly cannot tell you how many years I have wrestled in such a wonderfully inspiring way with just that line along. I've told many of you, one day I would love to write a book. I'm not a good writer. You probably don't want to read it if I ever do that. But I would love to write a book on just that line. He loved them to the end. And a culture that loves to quit. Jesus, in the midst of crazy hard circumstances, and all of this culminating in his death, and him knowing that that's what's coming, he's already told them pretty explicitly. Like, you can't say it more clearly than he's already said it. He knows this is coming. But having loved his own, he loved them to the end. To the end. He loves us to the end. Have you found the limits of your love? I have. (laughs) I'll just confess to you personally, I have struggled so much in the last week or two with my kids. Man, I love them. I love them so much. Like, would not hesitate to give my life for them. And at the same time, they can infuriate me beyond reason. And I have just struggled so much as I see these two worlds collide that I love them so much that I would give my life for them. And yet, in the silliest of things, I can all of a sudden just start to rage and realize in that moment, this is not loving them. Why do I do this? And I love them with my whole life, but man! That's not love, Dad. Have you found limits to your love? Jesus did not have limits. What did Jesus give all of his love to? His own. That Jesus did not fail in his love as I so often fail in my love. He loved them to the end. There's no end to Jesus' love but he saw it all the way through, that he loved them to the end. The end of love has an effect on everything. Do you know that? And this is why um, I spoke with someone in our church family this week who have some friends. They're just facing, like, I cannot imagine something more heartbreaking than what they're going through right now. And they're asking, just like, what do we do in this moment? And like, I, I don't have good answers. But what I see with God and his word is one of the best things you can do is just be there. Just be present. That one of the best ways we can love each other is to just be with each other. Not having all the right answers and being okay with that. That there's great mystery in this life. We don't understand everything, but we can be together in this. We can be compassionate. That whole idea we've talked about before, but co-passion, co is with, passion is suffering. This is God to be with us in our suffering and calling us to be compassionate to be with others in their suffering, to be present in that. And do you know why that is so powerful? Because we still want answers, right? And yet, when people are in real, real pain and suffering, there's a part of them that wants answers, but nowhere near as strong as the part of them that just wants you to be there, which is what makes it so powerful that you're just present. And what is it about your presence that is so much more powerful than unanswered questions? It's love. Because more than I want answers, I just want to know that I'm actually loved. And your presence reminds me that I have value to you. That you would find it worth it to step into something that's not happy. 
in a culture that obsesses over just flippant happiness, that you would step into something hard with me? It tells me that I'm loved. It tells me that I'm loved because the end of love has an effect on everything. We want to know that we are loved and Jesus loved them to the end. Know that Jesus actually desires us. He wants us. He pursues us. Jesus loves you. And do you know how often I hear the story of husband and wife as marriage is just being ripped apart? And what it comes down to on both sides is I'm not desired. I want so much to be wanted, to be pursued, to be valued. All of that just means to be loved. I just want to be loved. And this is the God of the cosmos, majestic, glorious creator of all things, who says, I'm holy. There is no one like me. And yet I'm running after you. I'm coming to you in your filth. I'm stepping into this mess. This is the gospel that Jesus would come down to us, that he would condescend. He would lower himself and get with us in this mess. And then he would say, all this mess, yeah, all of your mess, I put it on myself. And I give you my righteousness. This is so glorious. This is so good. This is such good news that a God would love us in such a way that he would pursue us. He would come after us. And so all of our questions, all of our wrestlings of, am I wanted? What a silly question, Kevin. The creator of the world and all of the cosmos says, I want you. I wrote your name in a book before you were ever made because I want you. Do you hear his voice? calling you by name, saying, I want you. I want you. We're wanted. You are loved by God. Do you know that? Do you know what it is? You are loved by God, that Jesus, before the Passover festival, knew his hour had come to depart from the worlds of the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To the end. Jesus did not quit. He loved us to the end all the things that make us quit, Jesus faced them. He did not quit because it never became too difficult for him. Even as he was having a panic attack in a garden praying, supposed to be a very peaceful moment, communing with the Father in a garden, serenity, and yet here's Jesus begging his friends, please just stay awake with me. Just stay awake. And he's sweating blood. He's in such turmoil and distress. And then here come torches and swords to arrest him as one of his friends betrays him with a kiss. And yet it never became too difficult. He didn't quit. I love, there's often overlooked as they're, they're surrounding him in the garden. And he's already been betrayed by the kiss, but it's like they want affirmation. Like, are, are, are you Jesus? Are you him? And he just says, I am he. And you know what it says? They all fell back. The power of him just saying, I am he. They fall back. He could have flexed at any moment. He's the one created and sustaining all things. That at any moment he could have said, enough of this nonsense, and everything just gone. He never quit. There was never something he was not capable of. He never opted for a better option. 
Like, do you hear that right now? Maybe you are so deeply hurt because at some point in your life, someone who is supposed to love you, who may have even said that they love you, they decided, no, something better for me. Do you know that Jesus never does that? He still wants you. He's still pursuing you. He still loves you. He loves us to the end. He's not going for a better option. That is so freeing for me to know that he still loves me. When I wake up and I go about my day and I fail in a million ways, he still wants me. He still loves me. He loves me to the end. Knowing the end makes everything so much more bearable. Do you know that? We know that he loves us to the end. Then you know what? Monday can suck. And and I mean that from the the slightest, just it was an annoying day, to it was the most painful, God-awful thing that could ever happen on this planet. I know the end. Is that I'm loved. He loves me. And so we can bear this. And we can do more than bear this. We can get through this with joy. With joy. Again, that's not a flippant happiness. This is a deep joy that we are tethered to because Christ is ours and we are his and he holds us in the palm of his hand and he said, no one can take them out. I've got you. Uh, Reggie and I met this old pastor this week. He's got four decades plus in ministry. And he started off in one context, ultimately was lead pastor of a mega church and then just felt called by God go plant a church in a region where he knew it's not going to be a big church. And so he's still today one of the pastors of this church in an area where he said they're running about 120 people. And he's 22 years into this church plant where they're at 120 people. And I think, beloved church is four years old and we're more than that. And as often as I can get discouraged and frustrated by just various things happening, here's this old man who has been through so much. And the whole time he's talking, he is just overwhelmed with joy, full of laughter, enjoying everything. And we ask him, like, what's, what's the secret sauce, man? Like, wh- like what is this? How, it's so encouraging to see your joy at this stage. Mind you, they're also in a school, still setting up every week. 22 years in. And I am I'm begging God, and I'm begging you, please beg God with me. Like, let's get a home for this thing, okay? 22 years in to set up and tear down every week. And he just so joyfully loves his church and loves that he gets to be part of that. And we're talking to him and we ask, like, what's the deal? How do you do this? It's so encouraging. And he says, you know, not to be morbid, but at this point in my life, I'm thinking about death a lot. And most of us bristle at the thought of death. And here's a saint who says, joy, (laughs) I'm that much closer. I'm that much closer. Because Jesus loves us to the end. We don't have to be afraid of anything. We don't have to be sorrowful. We can can be sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Because we have joy that will never be taken from us because you are loved by God. He loved us to the end. We are his You can reduce or change every part of your life and know that we still have this. We are loved. So would you respond to that love this morning? I'm skeptic. You don't know if you believe any of this. It's true. Hear his voice. The voice of truth himself, who's Jesus. Seeker, you want to know. And here's your invitation. That you can respond today. 
You can respond to the reality that God loves you. You were to love him in response. A stumbling and doubting saint. I don't know. Would my life look like this if he really loved me to the end? You can know that yes, yes, you were loved. We don't have to have all the answers right now, but you can know with certainty you are loved. You are loved. And Father of Jesus, this is good news. Who are you going to share it with? And I mean that. I mean that that was a command from your Lord to take this good news to all of your neighbors and all of the nations. Who this week are you going to share this good news with? Just tell them you're loved. You know you're loved. Tell them that they can know this too. We are loved. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much that we are undeserving and you are majestic and holy and deserving of all good. You came to us in grace. And having loved your own, namely us, who are in the world, and it was time for you to depart from this world and go back to your throne in heaven with your Father, you loved us to the end. You loved us all the way to death. Thank you for that. We praise you for that. Because that is our victory, that you would take our sin on yourself and you would give us righteousness. You would give us your life. And you would rise again victorious over death, showing the price has been paid. We're free. We're free to know that we're loved by you and we get to enjoy you forever. You sink it into our hearts. Get it through our thick skulls. Would you let that actually change the way that we live our lives? Spirit, we need you to do that. It's your work. It's not mine. It's not anyone else in this room. And to just be obedient and keep in step with you because you're the one affecting these changes. So please, Spirit of God, would you make it so? And all to your glory, Father.